Casey trims apple trees. So today we talk about trimming trees, hiking the Appalachian Trail, and pure Michigan, baby. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this buds for you. But man, it's good to see you. Thanks for thanks for answering the call. I've been sending this out, and it's been fun to catch up with people and hear stories and tell stories. So you told me that you're in you're in your new home right now, which is your buddy's basement slash former teacher slash I mean, art guru from what it looks like on the walls. Where is this location geographically? Are you in a state? Are you in a city? Are you in a country? Is it ours? Is it not? I happen to be in all three of those. Um, I'm in pure (laughs) Michigan in the United States um, in a town called Romeo, which is about 45 minutes north of Detroit. And uh, yeah, I'm in a basement right now at my buddy's house. And he is, uh, you know, I'd say it more than more than an art connoisseur. He's a, a movie guy. Uh, music dude he does he actually podcasts too he's got one of the uh one of the most impressive underground metal podcasts i've ever heard the front door. so that's that's my guy i saw on yeah. social media the other day i'm gonna cough people are gonna hit <coughs> god gotta clear that up <laughs> i could have muted but who cares Saw on social media the other day mm-hmm. that uh somebody was going through a bunch of old metallica hits and it was just one of those like oh you thought metallica was a genius which they are wonderful artists and everything but then they would take sure. a song and they would find something from iron maiden that was released like 6 years prior or another metal band and it's like oh and all i can think to that is right. if you go throughout time shit the song blackbird i saw the other day paul mccartney was like well blackbird was riffed off of a, a bach a piece of bach music that we just liked a little bum 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 and he just took that and went with it where in Michigan did, did you say that. pure Michigan is in pure as, is that the name of the town or are you just saying pure Michigan, baby? No, that's, that's the marketing campaign that came out like 15 years oh, ago. Right. And that's kind of the running joke. Yeah. You'll see commercials. It's like, here we have a wonderful town, a wonderful city with beautiful pine trees. And it's just pure Michigan. It's Tim Allen. Actually, he does the, he does the commercials. Yeah, because before he got arrested for DUI in Detroit, he uh, he was a big Michigan guy. No, I love Tim Allen, Ro- Ro- yeah. uh, Rose Theater, the whole bit. Are you pure Michigan, or is this a later development in life? Because I want to know about how wh- who were you before we met in the beautiful state of Maine? Well, I mean, I, I grew up uh, in, in this area, actually. Um, I've traveled around and kind of lived in some different places. I was born in Traverse City, which is as pure Michigan as you can get, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but came down to the Detroit area when I was like three years old when my dad decided, hey, I want to take a job in the city. He's an attorney, um, but he found some work down um, where people live, not up north Michigan. And uh, he moved me and my two sisters and my mom down here when we were really young. Um, and that's where I, this is where I grew up. So I found my way back after an extent of traveling. And I I mean, I I did Tampa for like five years. Obviously, Maine was cool, too. Um, But yeah, I bounced around and I don't know, had a a great, great childhood so far, I suppose. (laughs) It's funny. I don't know if we ever got this deep, but everybody outside of myself in my entire family tree is from Michigan. My sisters were born in Birmingham and Springfield. My dad grew up in Dearborn. My mom grew up in St. Joe. I just did a, a little piece this morning about the, uh, the outhouse outhouse racing up in Mackinac city. My sister spent a summer on yeah. Mackinac Island before she went to Maine and then dragged me to Maine. So my Michigan roots run, actually they don't exist, but my family roots run deep. They started going South before I was born. And then I came along with that's so funny. Cause when you say pure Michigan, like I grew up, I'm here in Boston now and being a huge, you know, Brady guy, Patriots, Homer and everything. I always like to tell them I, he was mine before he was yours. All right. Like, like both my parents, <laughs> both my parents went to Eastern. And if you ask them, like my mom would say, well, I wasn't smart enough to get into Michigan. And my dad was like, well, I couldn't afford it. And so they went to Eastern right there in Ypsilanti. But 
Michigan. And sure. my my sister uh, my sister lives in Louisville, Kentucky, but her husband their their company just expanded up into the Detroit area. That's Detroit for you non Michiganders. Detroit. Yeah. And so, did you do the whole thing where, like, when you turned nineteen, did you jump? Did you jump the border and go over to Windsor and party? Well, absolutely. Yeah, dude. We would literally. I mean. It was where we could go and like party a little bit. And we could gamble. And I live, I mean, it's probably like 30 minutes to, to Windsor or Sarnia. So me and my boys, like, you know, it was our first year of college too. So if we wanted to do it legally, we'd jump the bridge and we'd always get looked at funny by the guys at the border. You know, the Canadian border guys are super cool. But yeah, we jump over and they're like, hey, man, like, what you guys doing over here? It's like, well, we're 19. Is it obvious? <laughs> you know, so. I was going to say, at what point do um, they just, they see, they see the Americans coming over and the, oh, you're 19, you're 19, you're not. You're 18. Oh, you must be the driver. Right. You're 19. You're 19. That's I got stopped by Canadian uh, Canadian immigration folks a few years ago. I was going to I was going up to Moncton, New Brunswick, to see some folks. And at the at the at the border, they just said, "Have you ever been arrested? You know, for anything?" And blah 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 blah. And the, I mean, I got in trouble in college once, and so I was like, "Well, yeah, I got arrested in college." Sure. And the guy just looked at me and he just went. He's like, pull over here. He made us actually come in. They they pulled my FBI file because they were like, we found this FBI file. Oh a, yeah, and I'm like, I'm like shaking in my boots because I was like, am I am I getting deported, arrested? Like, I'm, I'm supposed to be like a party in a couple right. hours. And the guy just goes, oh, yeah, everything's taken care of. You're good to go. And so then I asked him, I was like, well, next time I come up, is there gonna be like a flag on my record or something? He goes, he looked around. I was like, honestly, just lie. What? And he's like, if, right. if we put, if we put a flag on your record, then you're going to get stopped no matter what. And then we're going to pull this up and be like, oh, mm -hmm. for that. And he's like, if you, I go, but if I lie about it, and he kind of looked at me with cocked eyed, I go, got it. I hear you. I hear you. So that's what I was wondering because this, I mean, this is the I, third time I've heard about people going over to to Windsor in the last couple of days. Well, I, I, I will always say, in, you know, in those two years before I was 21, when we made that trip, probably like five or six times over the you know the course of those two years. The, the border patrol on the Canadian side was always and unconditionally way more friendly because they'd see us coming over and they're like, okay, like they'd obviously check you, but they're like, okay, well, welcome, have fun, stay out of trouble, boys. However, when I was coming back across to my home state, these guys would be like, what were you doing over there? You smuggling humans or drugs or something? It's like, no, man, we were just going over there to get drunk, dude. Come on. I'm smuggling booze in my veins. That's what I'm trying to do. Can I please get home, sir? It is funny. Right. I, I bet they did. They also they probably also did say, boys. All right, boys, get all, get all up in there. Oh, you, know, you have, betcha. Have fun. Have fun. Be safe, boys. Let us know if you need a ride. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could. It, the stereotypes are real. Canadians are, are just super freaking yeah. sweet for that reason. So I love that you're in Michigan and I forget that sometimes that, uh, that our, our, our paths mm -hmm. have crossed in that, that cosmic world. What are you doing in Michigan now? You grew up there and you were a Michigander, uh, you're pure Michigan. Cause I, I laugh, like I grew up in Florida for, for most of my, my life, a little bit in South Carolina, yeah. mostly in Florida and Florida obviously gets stigmas all the time. And I'm, and that's why it's like, yep, pure Florida. And when you said pure Michigan, that's the first thing I thought of was like, he's saying that tongue in cheek. Sometimes you mean right. it like when people talk about Florida and they're like, yeah, it's awful. Right. You know, 20, you know, 24, seven sunshine and no state income tax. And it's like, but, but, but it's Florida. That's like the same thing. Michigan's gorgeous. Right. And there's all, there's all sorts of stuff to do my, you know, but it's Michigan and it's fucking cold and gray. So what do you oh, do? Sure. What do you do when you're not doing this stuff? I mean, other than just like going through general existential crisis on like a regular basis because of the weather, uh, you know, we're, we're out. Welcome to your 30s. Yeah. Oh, God, dude. I mean, it, either it's the 30s or the fact that literally six days a week, there's this gray overcast that exists from December 1st until right about April 1st. 
And uh, it's crazy because like right now it's just starting to break into spring. So it's nice. Um, and you can go outside and be like, oh my God, I'm not freezing. Um, but what I do through the winter, I have to be outside, which is kind of a blessing because otherwise everybody's shut in in their cottages and their homes. Um, I'll go outside and I prune apple trees. And that's my, that's my job. I've started a business. Talk to me, Goose. How did you get yeah, into dude, pruning apple trees? So, okay, long, long story short, I grew up in Armada, this, this little small town that I'm from. One of my best friends through high school, Andrew Blake, he is uh, heir to the Shout throne of uh, Blake's Hard Cider, Blake's Apple Orchard. Have you ever seen Blake's Hard Cider at all? Yeah, no, hold on. I was being cheeky and just saying like, shouts to our boy Andrew, but then you dropped it, Blake's Hard Cider. I've actually seen and heard yeah. this. So I went to high school with Andrew and then ended up going to college at Michigan State. He was there too. I went to school, English degree, bachelor's, and we and he was he was there at school too with me. I got done, graduated, got my degree. It was right about the, right before uh, I came to Maine and met you. And he goes, dude, you want to come back and make hard cider with me? And I'm yes. like, okay, I will parlay this this like trajectory of being a teacher and like help you start this business that sounds cool. His dad and his uncle ran this place. It was developed in 1946, and they were making donut cider. They were kicking ass. And Andrew had the idea of making alcohol and we loved doing that in college. So it was like, Hey, cool idea. So I actually was the first brewmaster for the first two years of Blake's hard cider. And I'm sure you've seen it. Um, yeah, no kidding though. Not humble brag, I guess, but That's awesome. um, thing is I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I was an English major. So like biggest batch I ever made was a 300 gallon, but it helped Drew get it off the floor. And I'm really like, I don't know, I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to do that. I'm also thankful that I'm not doing it anymore because I had no idea what I was getting into. And uh, they've taken it off. Phenomenal branding and vibe. I'm on their website right now. Yeah, blakeshardcider.com. This is is gorgeous stuff, man. Yeah, they've got it down in Florida. They're in like probably 30 states now. Sick. And so you were the first brewmaster, but you're not brewmastering brewmastering anymore. You're 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 clipping trees. Talk to me a little bit more. Is this like you know, like are you okay, basically so, doing pedicures yeah. and manicures for trees? Essentially, yeah. Sometimes I uh, I'll do their nails and like I polish <laughs> them. Um, obviously, while working there, you know, there's a lot of time throughout the winter where you have to go out and prune trees. And it was usually me and like six or seven of the Spanish guys, the Mexican dudes. And we would go out there. I would learn. Obviously, I was the only gringo, I guess. So I would speak the speak the Spanish. And I learned a lot of the language. Almost say, de say, fill in the blank with an English word and you can learn. Oh, it's divertido hablar en español. No te preocupes, amigo. I got you. Um, so I'd go out there. Yeah, we'd, we'd prune literally for, uh, for you know, I don't know, eight hours a day, four months straight. So I learned the art of literally pruning apple trees every year for like, I don't know, probably 10 years. And uh, after a while, I realized when some guy came up to me and he goes, you, you, it was a Ukrainian dude about four years ago. He goes, you prune my trees for me. You know, I pay you. And I go, I don't know. I don't really do that. And he's like, no, come over. And I literally went to his house. That's a terrible accent. I'm sorry. I love it. Um, yeah. I actually think so I, I go him. to his house and I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's Zonic, dude. He's a cool dude. Um, <laughs> so I go to his house and uh, I pruned his trees for a hundred bucks. And I realized like, this is, this is a really niche thing that a lot of people like need, but nobody does. So that's how I got into it. What is, is the pruning technique that you know, unique to apple trees or is it, is it kind of universal to other types of fruit bearing botany? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I would say that 
it's most fruit trees. Like I can do apples and pears. You prune those the exact same way. It's a, like a central leader technique. I could go into some boring detail, but, and then there's a way that you prune cherries, uh, peaches and plums, the stone fruits. Okay. So last year, so we live in which city USA, Salem, Massachusetts. It's wonderful. It's close enough to Boston to get in there if you want, but it's far enough away to not be, you know, part of that nonsense. And after about a year and a half, my wife and I, my roommate, my wife, uh, we're standing out back and we, we noticed that this tree, this gigantic tree in our backyard, we bought the house because the tree was beautiful. That was part of the reason we're like, Oh my God, how picturesque. And I look up and finally, after a year and a half of living there, I look at it and I was like, those look like wild cherries. And she's like, don't eat them. You're going to get sick. You're going to do this. You mentioned Chris McCandless in our, in our text back and forth. She's like, she's like, I don't, I don't, I don't need you. I don't need you dying on me. And I looked at her. I was like, well, first of all, hopefully you wouldn't just let me lay there and die. Like there's poison control. But I was like, I swear to goodness. I pulled one off, popped it in my mouth. It wild cherries. Cause my mom used to sit at her computer with just a mountain of cherry pits. Like she would have a bag of wild cherries from the grocery store and like a, and basically just a freaking paper towel. So I've got this huge wild cherry tree in my backyard and sure enough, okay. here in a, a month or so, we're going to start seeing some little buds and I want to collect them because last year, once I figured that out, it was, it was kind of towards the middle, late in the season. So I was just grabbing them when I was outside this year. I need to, I need to do some research. Like I can't buy one of those gigantic, you know, tree shaking machines. So I'm going to have to either hand collect or hand pick. So what advice do you have for this new arboreal adventure that I'm going to be going down? Arboreal. That's an amazing word. And I think you made it up, but I love it. Uh, is that real? <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, Arbor Day is is International Tree Day, right? The Ar- Arbor Day? Right. Well, Arbor, Ar- Ar- Arbor, Arboreal is. Arboreal is the adjective. Arboreal. And now we're going to go live. Arboreal is the yeah. adjectival version of Arbor. Yeah, dictionary. Adjective, chiefly living in trees or relating to trees. You have an arboreal. You live an arboreal adventure every day, dude. I'm I'm going to use that in my my day to day business life, and I'm going to sound so much more intelligent now. Well, we're going to pivot here in a minute. I don't don't want. I'm not letting you off the hook with my cherry tree tutorial that I'm going to get for free. But I mean, your arboreal adventure literally led to an Appalachian Trail adventure at one point that we're going to get to. But like wild cherry trees is there a couple three things that you can be like all right without seeing it i can't you know guide you through it but generally speaking timing and all that kind of stuff so how tall is it first off uh the top of my tree is 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 equal to the top of our house two-story house and so i mean it's 25 30 feet up and it's i mean massive i'd say 40 40 45 feet in diameter from one end of the limb oh, all the way. I mean, it's big. And like what I noticed last year too was I got to, I do need to get a botanist out here or an arborist out here and take a look at it because <laughs> we noticed last winter that the previous owners installed uh, basically like wires, cable wires and the three points in the top, because you can tell that the tree over years, this thing was planted probably 40, 50 years ago when the house was built and it is splitting a little bit in the middle. So they definitely drilled some, some, some eyes and they've got one, two, three, like a triangle of cables that are hold that kind of hold it together or support it. And that's why I need to get a professional to look up at that and go, Oh no, that's normal. Or yeah, y'all might want to get rid of this thing, but until then it's still sure. bearing fruit. So what do I do? So you're going to want to obviously go up as high as you can on a ladder, you know, as, as comfortable as you can be. Uh, I'm kind of scared of heights, so I get a little nerve wracking up when I get too tall up there. Um, but um, go up there, get all the dead branches, the dying branches, the stuff that looks like it's not producing anymore. And then anything that's crossing over like um, like like this, 
and you want to cut those out so that none of the branches are really touching each other. That would be my, okay. I guess, most basic advice without seeing your tree. Um, clean up the the tangles of the branches and get the dead stuff out of there. Love it. Is there any collection? Is there any kind of collection techniques or is there, are there just like a giant net that I can buy that I, that I hang underneath and they catch, or is it just kind of like, nah, man, you're talking about picking cherries. You're literally talking about like doing these jobs by hand and it's just tedious. I mean, for a home, uh, a home orchardist or a home, uh, you know, cherryist, I guess I'll, I'll say, um, dude, like you maybe put like a tarp on the ground. And uh, you, I guess you don't have like a shaker. Really, all you can do is hand pick it unless you're feeling real masculine, like you're shaking the tree or something. But I'll call um, Gene I don't really see that. Shake it. Oh, please. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, har- as far as harvesting goes, like just climb up on a ladder and maybe send your kids up there. They're probably nimbly and they can climb up in the tree a bit. So. That'd be my recommendation. Cooper, Cooper Rose will be three in July. And actually about, she, she already is climbing everything in the house. And that's what I told Allie. I was like, eh, we're, we're going to have to find some old climbing holds. You know, I've been putting out the feeler. Anybody throwing away climbing holds, we're going to strap those to the, the side of the tree and do all that kind of stuff. But the cherry tree, that's so funny that like that is, but that's where you ended up. You talk about people who you find either a niche or a passion, or like you said, like, this is something that people need and not a lot of people do it. It's it's the kind of outdoor version of becoming an auto mechanic nowadays or welding or plumbing, any of these skill sets that you don't realize are integral to our survival. You're talking about taking care of the trees that not just cherries or apples, but in general, food doesn't just come from nowhere. Food does not come from the store, folks. Right. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, the ability to be somewhat self-sustainable is super impressive. And anybody that is like a home orchardist or grows their own tomatoes, like, I, I don't know, like simple stuff like that. Like, I, I admire that. And I'm trying to um, implement that in my own life a little more. If Me possible. as well. Outside of the cherries, but, we're talking about uh, maybe uh, I was looking into, I saw hanging tomato gardens, like people who actually from giant tree limbs or whatever, so that on the ground rabbits can't, but vertical trees or vertical tomato, tomato plants. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. When though, full stop. The reason I reached out was multiple reasons. A, we hadn't, we hadn't crossed paths in a hot minute, but I'd seen you online picking apples. And then you took a break from life and you did something that I would say it's hilarious. Could be like how cliche I went and hiked the Appalachian trail. It is, but it isn't. Sure. It's, it's, it's only cliche. It's cliche to say you're going to do it. Like I talk about it all the time. My wife and I, oh man, maybe when Cooper's graduated and we're retired, we'll be one of those old couples. No, we won't. I'll be playing 36 holes of golf at that point. If, if, if God did love yeah. me in any way. Take me from decision. So let's start with that. What what pushed you to say I'm going? Um, my wife. I got married in May of 2021, and it was her dream. And I don't know why this is because she's the least outdoorsy, campy person that I've met in a long time. And she was like, "Hey, I've always wanted to do this." I mean, she's obviously very outdoorsy and campy now, but this was something that like, she's never even like, like I was a boy scout. Like I've gone to Maine and been to camp with you. Like there's just a mentality that you have to have to be out there. And one day when we were, we were going up on our, like our honeymoon in quotations to Mackinac city. And she breaks this to me. She's like, I want to hike the Appalachian trail. And I'm like, babe, you're out of your mind. That's nuts. Like, are you serious? And she goes, yeah. And I told her it's a terrible idea. So after some convincing, you know, she, she's like, let's watch some videos. I've read a book about this. It's possible. 
and and like I started to watch these videos and I realized like it is it's doable like normal people do this and all you have to do is just start walking so we spent a year from May like the the the, the month that we got married um, until April the following year. So 11 months prepping, preparing, uh, dehydrating food, reading, researching. I had two or three books that I was flipping through, like plotting out what I thought would be our path, which goes out the window quick. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we ended up going for it. And that's, that's how we, from, from concert, what is it? Conception of the idea to the actual implementation of it. That was the kind of the path. Where did you start your journey? Georgia or uh, did you Springer Mountain. Okay, so you went the traditional route, Springer Mountain. And yeah. what what day did you hit the trail? Oh God, it was like April thirteenth or fourteenth, uh, mid April of last year, twenty twenty two. Yes. All right. So you said there you had your plan laid out. What was what was something that kind of went out went out the gate early? What was something? Because you're right. I've watched the documentaries. I've read books. You hear stories. For you, what was something early on that you were like, "Well, this isn't going as as we planned." You find out so quickly that you don't need shit. Uh, you bring <laughs> 40 pounds worth of stuff, dude. And like I was carrying 40 pounds in a backpack and I was and I, after reading the books and doing the research and even listening to everybody say like drop weight now, I still was like, yeah, but I need three pairs of underwear and I need this sweatshirt and I need this like I don't know, book for some reason, like I'm going to carry a book with me. Like, sure. It's great to be like, I'm going to read on the trail, but like get it on your phone or something. Um, so, so the, yeah, weight definitely, you know, we hiked for two weeks and after the two week mark, we went from like 40 pounds each to down to like, you know, 25 maybe. And so we dumped a lot of stuff real quick. Everybody does. Did you end up with trail names? Of course. Yeah. Everybody gets them. Um, this How do you get it? What do you mean? Hold on. What do you mean? Everybody gets them. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine it's that simple. Cause if I walked out and said, like, walk up to somebody like, Hey, I'm bud, but my trail name is blah, blah, blah. I almost, I would be the person to be like, what do you mean your trail name? How'd you earn it? Where are your scars? But so talk to me, what were your trail names and how'd they come about? Well, I mean, I know your name's Mike in real life, right? Government name. Yeah. Yeah. So you've like, I know you, you're bud obviously, but like, you know, you have like a trail name in that sense too. It just kind of happens organically. Right. So like for, for me personally, I was out there and I was building fires. Do you remember in Maine when I did the fire building competition at the relay? Casey, you were, your trail name for me was the boy in the tree. You were always somewhere that I was like, where the fuck is this guy? And not always, I'm joking. I'm busting your balls. You were a wonderful counselor. Those boys loved you. Uh, but yes, I do. I do remember that very well. So it was, and I know this is a little side, side mission conversation, but I, I'll never forget this moment. It was during that, it was the, the relay and our team, the, the green team was down to the blue team. And by like, I don't know, five minutes. And we did this competition with the fire building. And I had these two kids who were of the, the upper group. Um, um, anyway, uh, the oldest kids, and they ended up building a fire in, in like three minutes. And I remember the other guy, Zach. Um, he had, it took them like 15. So we ended up like, it was the swinging point of the entire race. And like Raj, the owner and those guys came up and were like, dude, that's the fastest we've ever seen this happen. So I have, I have a point to this. Um, so I was really good at coaching and building fires on the trail. I always made it a point for the first few weeks to build a fire, even though I was exhausted, I started building a fire. So people started calling me pyro. 
um, obviously pretty basic. It makes sense. Like, yeah, you're a pyromaniac. You build fires all the time. That didn't end up being my final trail name. Lasted a month. And after that month went by, I ended up getting a fanny pack that I would wear. Yeah, I needed something to put my phone and my stuff because you can't hold them in the side pouches of your backpack. You know, you, you need like access. So you put it up front. And um, I had this fanny pack that was an American flag fanny pack. And this British guy who was with me, he's like, you got, oh, you got a fanny pack, do you? That was more Australian. I'm sorry. Um, but he'd go, he'd go, uh, you got a fanny pack. He's like, it's, it's you get American flag fanny pack. He's like, it's like a freedom pouch. And I became freedom pouch because of that. I love that freedom pouch. Yeah. And you're, I mean, yeah. yes, bud came from getting bullied by my two older sisters, but freedom pouch. So freedom pouch. We, who yeah. did you travel with name. the whole time? You, you, you said you were with your wife at the beginning. Was it just the two of you the whole time? Were there people who kind of came and went? Of course. Yeah. I mean, well, of course there were people that came in and out of our lives. You walk for four or five days in between these towns and you find people that you start your day with. And then you're like, Hey, I'm going to try to get to this checkpoint. Um, you know, by today, 10 miles from here and like, all right, well, shit, we'll meet you there. So like people will leave at different times of the day. You cross paths with people on the trail, but everybody's just on this like constant, like one way trip North for the most part. And you just, you, you bounce around the same people. And sometimes you'll leave them for like a you know week at a time where like you leave the town a day earlier and, you know, you won't see them for like seven to 10 days. And then they just show up and you're like, oh dude, like quip, what's up, man? I haven't seen you in a while. Or like chili dog, my man, like I missed you, bro. How's, how's life? Yeah. Chili dog. How do you think he got his trail name? I don't even want to know. We're not going there. What? <laughs> So you say you're you're hiking five six days in between. Talking about food back back at the beginning, you said or just a couple minutes ago, you were saying you know we spend a year dehydrating food and stuff. How does food work on the trail? What were you eating? What did you think you were going to eat? What did you not realize you were going to eat? Like what was what was the whole food experience like hiking from Springer Mountain to Baxter State Park? Um, I was lucky that my wife Kai was smart enough to figure out how to dehydrate food. Um, typically you get, you know, resupplies at stores where you're getting like pop tarts, a block of cheese, and like, I don't know, maybe one beer to hike up a mountain with and then crack. Cause you know, you got to get rid of it at that point. Um, she dehydrated a bunch of foods, vegetables, a little bit of meat too, but it's kind of hard to dehydrate. And she packaged 250 meals for us. And yeah, it was crazy. And these little Mylar bags. And then she had her mom mail them every two weeks. We'd get 14 new bags um, of food. So, cause that's another part that I've heard about the trail. Like, you know, mail plays a big role, whether people are mailing you things or whether you're shipping some of your stuff home where you're like, I don't need this anymore. The weather changes. So w was it just food that you would get or did you get other packages on the, on the trail? Did you get other types of mail that was like a, a little pick me up something special or was it just, here's your, here's your fuel. Um, I mean, there's a lot of trail magic that happens, which is probably talk to my me about trail magic. Hold on now. Well, you're not talking to some granola guy with it, with a, a hiking name. What, what the fuck do you mean? Trail magic. Trail magic is something that happens spontaneously and unexpectedly. And it's just based on the goodness and kindness of the people around, you know, the area and the trail. Um, it can be in any form, like somebody putting a cooler out there with like Gatorade water or like even like beer sometimes, 
Um, sometimes there were people that would set up at these parking lots because, you you know, again, like you'd pass roads every like 10 to 15 miles. You're not in the middle of nowhere all the time. And there'd be a guy set up with like, I don't know, tables and he'd be pressing like ham sandwiches and you're starving because you're eating dehydrated foods. And he's like, hey, you're through hiker. I see your tag. Like, come on over, have a have a sandwich and like a granola bar. Um, <laughs> and those were always the biggest like pick me ups because you'd never expect it. Um, if you if you ran into a guy in a parking lot who had a bag of like McDonald's egg sandwiches, you're like, thank you, Jesus. This is awesome. So um, that was trail magic. Through hiker. You weren't a through hiker. What are the different types of hikers on the trail? And you mentioned tags. I've never heard about this. What do you mean tags? Well, tags, you put a tag. There's a, when you start your, your through hike, you put a, a tag on your back, you go and check in and there are these little like colored tags. They have a number. So everybody starts and there's about 4,000 people a year who attempt this. And I can't remember what number we were like 2,100 or something that, that uh, at the point we started and you just wear it on your tag for your backpack for the whole time. So that kind of indicates to people that you're a through hiker or you're attempting a hike from Georgia to Maine. Through hiker, as opposed to what other kind of hiker, if you're not a through hiker, what are you? Um, well, I mean, there's like your, your casual day hikers, which were pretty cool. They don't, you can tell they're day hikers because they don't smell like a through hiker. <laughs> they actually are shaven and they're clean. Um, so that's a major way to differentiate. There's also section hikers. Some of our friends like that chili dog guy, he hiked for a month with us, um, up until about Virginia ish. Um, so those are section hikers and they're doing the trail in sections. I would say that I'm a through hiker. Because I did start at one point with an uh, with a ambition of going to Katahdin. I made it to Katahdin, but we didn't do every bit of the trail. So I'm not going to say I'm a purist through hiker. I just spent five months through hiking. What do you mean you didn't do the whole trail? So because if you look at a map of it, are you saying that there's you get options as you get further up north where you can either detour up into this section or that section. And so are there people who will try to touch every inch of the trail versus just I'm getting from Georgia to Maine. I'm going to follow the AT. And like you did, like you said, I mainly was a through hiker. Yeah. I mean, there's, when I say, I'm not going to claim that I did the entire trail. I did me and my wife did like 1900 miles of it, of the 2200 that existed. I'm claiming Um, it for you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I just, I, there's, there's people that I met along the way who would literally walk backwards 30 feet. If they jumped off the trail to take a pee, they wanted to do every single step. And those guys are called purists. They will walk every bit of the trail. We, when we got to the Shenandoah mountains, we decided because we were tired of hiking that we were going to take a canoe trip and we spent seven days and it cut off a hundred miles of the trail. So like that was part of like the difference. But like we did a seven day canoe trip during our five month stint where we literally just like camped along a river, which was sweet. Um, That's called blue blazing, um, (laughs) which is a different story, I guess. But um, yeah, so like I'm not going to say I'm a purist. The purists are the ones that will hike every inch of the trail. And like, God bless them, dude. They're they're badasses. Um, We just we were finding our own hike. We're hiking our own hike. I I think it's badass anyways, man. Like I try to carve out 72 hours in the summer just to go sleep in a sleep in a hammock. And and I'm sitting over here thinking about hiking. Now it's the Pacific was it the Pacific crest trail, not the Pacific coast trail, but the Pacific crest trail or whatever they got. They got famous through the Reese Witherspoon movie and the book that it was based on. I can't even remember what it's called, but that's uh, a wild. 
uh, that's yes. something that like Allie keeps talking about. She wants to do, and she has this vision of taking Cooper and doing either a couple sections of it or try to do the whole thing. I'm like, do the whole thing. That's a summer of golfing for Boudreaux. So doing this, uh, what's something, what's something you learned along the way that you absolutely did not anticipate coming across? Something that I learned along the way that I didn't anticipate. Um, I guess first and foremost was the fact that after a month of hiking, the honeymoon is kind of over the honeymoon phase. Uh, you get tired of it real quick. So I guess like if I'm taking your question, like trying to make it, you give advice to people, it'd be like, go for like a month and do it in sections like that. Um, I also learned like how to communicate better with my wife, which was something I didn't really expect. You know, we had, obviously we butted heads a lot on the trail because you spend every single hour of every day together and like getting through that, um, was a challenge and to be honest, a testament to what we're capable of as a couple. So that's something I learned. I love that. You go into there thinking you're just going on this, like, you know, outdoor human connecting with nature, life-changing experience. And it turns out to be a little bit of relationship counseling. If you were, yeah. if somebody says to you, I'm, I'm a young buck, 18 year old, fresh out of high school, I'm gonna put off life for a year and I'm going to go do that Appalachian trail. Casey, how do I do it? Um, lose the weight real quick. Um, you don't need as much as you think you do. That's, that's something I already mentioned. Um, also like go for it. You know, you don't have to train too hard. Most people go out there and they're like, you know, when they think about it, like, I'm not in shape enough to do this, man. Like you don't have to be a cross country champion to pull this off. There's a 76 year old woman who was, who just did as, as much as I did, if not more this past season named birthday girl. Um, you know, there's people that just retired doing it. You don't have to be, you don't have to be in great shape. You just have to go for it. And, you know, you start slow, you know, you, when, if you're an 18 year old young buck, you're probably going, I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to crush 15 miles a day. Don't do that. You know, do, do five to seven at most, you know, calm your tits a little bit and like, just take it easy, meet some people and have some fun, man. That's so funny you said that. Matthew McConaughey just just I saw something on social media where he's sending his son to summer camp and he asked his son, like, boy, what do you want to get out of the experience? He said, Pop, I want to meet new, I want to meet new people and try cool things. It sounds to me like that's that's almost the same mantra for the Appalachian Trail. You can't you can't take it not seriously because it is a serious endeavor. It is a freaking I mean it's it's beyond a marathon. It's a commitment. It's six months of your life and it's a trans, transformational experience. But it also sounds like if you if you go into it that heady it can get the best of you one foot in front of the other one day at a time. If there's ever an analogy mm -hmm. for that, you know, it's, it's, it's doing Absolutely. something like this. Well, I found too, that like it's, it's the transition back from the trail is something I would definitely try to impress upon the people that are doing this because you, you break away from everything that's normal for five, six months. And then again, like, you have the most like absolute purest form of freedom. And then you come back from that. And like, when you're on the trail, putting one foot in front of the other, you know, you, you find success every day in just doing that, just getting up and walking in real life. It's not necessarily like that. And that's been hard to transition back to. You don't feel fulfillment just by walking every day at home. Cause it's like, Oh, I got to go to my job. But like, it was so simple and so pure out there. And it really was just, it made so much sense. And I guess 
that's the weird transition back. You got to be prepared for that because life is a lot harder than life on the trail. I mean, it's a, there's, there's a parallel there to going and working at a summer camp like we did, a residential summer camp where you're away for two months at a time. And then you come back and you forget that while you're away, the world keeps spinning at the same speed that it did. You might have taken a little detour, mm-hmm. but it keeps spinning and they didn't hear, feel, do the same things that you did. Another, one more question about the trail really memories sure. is what I'm asking about. And then if you've got a couple more minutes, I want to, I want to ask you my, my James Lipton's questions. I'm obsessed with James Lipton. I think he's one of the best person persons to ever do interviewing. And he always ended his actors inside the actor studio with his 10 questions. I drop one of them because I'm a golf guy. And also everybody likes the same cuss words nowadays. It's no longer shocking, but looking back at this, okay. you know, the, the relationship advice, the, the mental, the overcoming any kind of mental obstacles, literally overcoming physical obstacles what's something that you look back on in a memory that, you know, sitting on your rocker, you know, 60 years from now, looking back at the AT, is there a moment, a place, uh, you know, something that you saw, did, ate, touched that you can always kind of close your eyes or just hold on to and say like, that is what it was for. I mean, maybe not what it was for, but there's a specific moment that made me realize that um, it was it was a profound experience. Where it was Good point. Not what it was Tennessee. for. I apologize. I didn't. I didn't want. To, I didn't want to confuse purpose with. I think sure. this kind of existential feeling that I was looking for. So yes, sir. I appreciate that. Yeah. The the like the most powerful moment to me was it was in Roan Mountain, Tennessee, and we were leaving a hostel to go hike up to the top of the mountain again to meet Chili Dog, that guy, and we hiked, and this torrential downpour started, and I mean like like thunderstorm, wicked winds, and we're getting just soaking wet, even wearing all of our ponchos and our rain gear. Yeah, it was brutal, dude. So we're up there getting just roasted by it. And like literally the trail becomes a waterfall of like rivers and stones that's like soaking your feet. And I remember I'm walking behind Kylie because I was always walking behind her just like, you know, because like you, you, you put your wife in front of you, you know? And um, as we were climbing that thing, I remember looking out over this like mountaintop like uh, view and I'm like, this is really bad. And I don't think this is safe. But I looked at her and I was like, she keeps pushing onward. And like, I got to keep pushing onward because we have no choice at this point, but to get to this shelter that's at the top of Roan Mountain. And we made it, it took four hours, but it was literally like, it was almost like a ex, like not like, uh, like an incredible experience. You know, we just were, we're, we're out there in the middle of nowhere and I was terrified, but I lived, I survived. And I remember feeling at that moment, like if we don't complete this, we're fucked. And we, we pulled it off. Um, so I don't know, seeing her in that situation, situation and scenario, like pushing through, that was probably the most like powerful moment for me on the trail. Um, and one of my like favorite memories of it, to be honest, looking back. That's awesome. I mean, that, that, that's genuinely, cause like you said, you have no options at that point. You've thrown your hat over the wall. You got to go catch it. You've already started, you know, the boulders rolling down the mountain, but in this case, the water's coming down and you're trying to go up. And what I reacted to at the very beginning, cause I do remember when you would come back online, you would drop, you know, some photo dumps is what the kids are calling them nowadays. But I do remember, and I don't know if it's the same moment you're talking about. I remember seeing a video of y'all just getting, beaten to hell by some rain. And I doubt it was the only time that it happened, but you, you both were smiling in this video. And I thought like, I can connect with that. Like there, there is some sort of, if you're an outdoors person in any way, shape or form, you almost, 
you're almost a glutton for punishment. You almost want something to go a little off to push you a little bit. And it sounds like to me, you saw that and you saw that in your partner. And it's like, all right, game on. This is what we came out here to do. Put one foot in front of the other, tackle challenges they come as they come along and metaphorically and literally get to the top of the mountain. Yeah. I mean, oh. we had to. We had no other choice. Would you do it again? Do you want to do it again? Um, I was so happy to get done. Um, I mean, immediately, I was glad that I did it. I was even happier that it was over with. But as more time comes between the, my finish and, you know, as, as more time comes between that and now, um, I guess the further away I get from it, the more I wish that I was doing it again. As people are starting their through hikes in 2023, I'm going, dude, like, I wish I was out there doing it. Because that first month is like, it's so magical. The people you meet, the experiences you're having, and I, that culture is incredible. So, like, would I do it again? Last night, I was thinking about it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I would. You know, if you asked me a month ago, I'd say, hell no. It sounds that, that almost again it, gets, it sounds almost like a a good solid summer camp experience as a counselor or any any kind of role where you're sitting here and you're going man that was awesome but then you also start to remember the hours the effort you know the responsibility the always yeah. being on that that kind of stuff it is a calling it draws you to it uh, but yeah I, I I don't know man I'm just it was overly impressive to see somebody just say like yep yeah, I'm gonna go do it and like you said go go put one foot in front of the other find a partner do your research do your homework. But what I've taken away from this is there's a balance to it. Like you said, you don't have to be a CrossFit athlete, nor do you have to be, you know, an expert botanist slash nature explorer. You have to have some common sense, a little bit of willpower, a sense of humor, and your head on a swivel. And if you if you can do all that, tenacity. You might, tenacity. I like that. I'm going to take tenacity yeah. away from today. You're going to take arboreal away, and you're going to have fun with that. <laughs> all right. Before you're welcome, and thank you. But and by the way, I want to I want I want you to come back if you'd be willing to come back on this buds for you and chop it up a little bit uh, future about trees about apples about the about the trail because there's a million questions that I actually have written down here and I and I and I went I was like you know what we're not going to go a mile deep on the AT right now I need to introduce Casey to the world I need to reintroduce him into my world and uh, and and get some of these initial stories out but I would love nothing more than to reconnect with you because like you just pointed out this is about the time of year that folks are going to be saddling up to start their trek isn't it. Absolutely. Yeah. Usually the bubble, they call it the, the big part of uh, the biggest like population of through hikers going northbound. They start uh, right around now, mid-March. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's on, baby. Lent. Give up, give up, give up a uh, comfort and go join the AT. All right. Casey Beeman. I, this has been one of the most, this has been one of the best conversations I've had in recent memory. Uh, the stars oh, aligned. I, I say, well, I say social media this is a kick that I'm on all the time. And the arc of human history, social media has been around that long, right? So there's so much bad that has come from it because instant access to information. Our brains are not meant for this, but us as adults, we're figuring out, we're getting connected. And it's moments like this and it's stories like this that I'm super grateful for because let's be honest, 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't have, we, we, we may, I, hey, it was fun at camp, but who knows if we ever see each other again. Right. So I appreciate I never it. Have seen you again. Listen, you're always going to be right here. And right here. And for those of you listening, I pointed to my heart and to my head. So before I before I cut you loose, you ready to go through the ring? Are you ready to bare your soul and answer these nine questions for everybody? And then you can go back to pruning trees. Dude, I'll take my shirt off if I got to. Let's see what you got. Let's go. Pants too. All right, here we go. Number one, what is your favorite word? 
my favorite word. That's fucking crazy. Um, my favorite word. Facetious. It just feels good to say. And it's kind of a smart alecky term. Yeah, I like being able to drop facetious every once in a while. What is your so yeah, least, there's there's your answer. What is your least favorite word? Um God, I feel like I should be rapid answering these. Um least favorite word. Stop. You know, quit, something like that. You know, like, don't do that. Keep going. You know, like, so that would probably be my least favorite word. Anything that implies doubt. Yeah. You know, something, yeah. I mean, yeah, so. I love, no, I love that. Sorry, I usually don't, I usually don't interject, but I just felt, I just felt connected to that one. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Being outside for sure. Anything outdoors, like just kicking it. Yeah. Kicking it in the woods. Um, I mean, like if I ever need some inspiration or I'm feeling blue, dude, I go outside, I work in my mom's back 40 and I chainsaw trees and work on the trail back there. She's got six acres that I've, I'm, I'm, I made a quarter mile track back there and that's my solace. That's where I find creative. Uh, that turns me on creatively. What turns you off? Um, finances dude like just worrying about like <laughs> money man that just sucks it's just this like harsh reality of life and it's like everybody does it you got to adult you got to sort shit out so like i don't know like talking about finances sucks but you got to do it so that like if that's a that's a that's a turn off switch real quick a wet blanket yeah. what sound or no- <laughs> what sound or noise do you love Cats purring. What sound or noise do you hate? To be honest, the sound of my car, because lately this thing has been just just brutal. I drive it and I got to turn the radio on because I'm like, man, this is this doesn't sound good. So I turn the radio up to my sports station. Ninety seven won the ticket in Detroit, baby. And uh, I just listen to these guys talk instead of listening to my tires thump around. Shouts Detroit radio. Uh, what profession, That's right. uh, what profession other than your own would you like to try? Dude, I would love to be a park ranger, somebody that maintains some trails. Like I, I'm looking, I'm kind of looking to make that transition because this, this pruning stuff is seasonal, but man, I would love to go and work for the park service. You know, if, even if it's a government job, I'm cool with it, man. Um, I would love to go out and make the outdoors obtainable and accessible to like normies, normal folk, the the muggles, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, man. One of the one of the few federal departments that I thank God for every day. All right, what profession would you not like to do? What profession would I not like to do? This is tough because you're an adventurous guy. Yeah. I mean, any occupation that requires you to sit in an office, you know, there's there's too many of them to really think of, but I'm, I'm turned off by the idea of, you know, sitting in a cubicle or sitting in an office, like, you know, sometimes without windows. I'm just like, God, I, I, I just, I got to be outdoors, man. Um, I can't, I can't do this inside living. 
I love it. And then last but certainly not least, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You did great, Casey. You know, you always tried your best to be a good human being. And uh, I know you fucked up a few times, but like, I'm glad that you did what you did. And and uh, you're welcome here. <laughs> Casey, once again, I send my sincere thanks to you in the state of Michigan. Hopefully our paths will cross again soon. Take care, trim trees, and tell your wife she is lucky. I'm the lucky one. That's true. Thanks, buddy.